everyone. Welcome to the Pink Pike Podcast. I'm Alicia, and I'm here today with Kaz and Dario to catch up just a little bit before we head into the main episode. It's definitely hitting the slow part of the season right now with racing kind of over in the Northern Hemisphere and even the talk about racing dying down, but we did see the latest version of the UCI rulebook come out recently. Nothing in that hit me as very groundbreaking, but it's interesting that we'll probably see world champs for enduro, e-enduro, and snow biking this year, which does seem like a change. But I don't know if there's anything in that to really focus on. So jumping ahead to tech, I kind of also wanted to ask Henry about those bird wheels he's been running lately. But since he isn't here, I want to focus on what you guys have been up to, because I know you've been riding really cool bikes too. Dario, I heard you might know things about the Transition Smuggler. What's going on with that? Yeah, I spent the better part of the summer into fall riding the Smuggler, I mean, amongst a bunch of other bikes, but definitely got a lot of time on it, went through a set of bearings pretty quickly, but definitely had a lot of miles. I really liked that bike. Um, Just a good, well-rounded trail bike, did all the things I wanted it to do, climbed well, descended well. Um, I think my chief complaint about it was came down to frame quality, Um, just little finishing touches really that uh all i'd say all of the other like premium brands are offering at this point that transition isn't and when you're paying the same amount that you'd pay for a santa cruz or for um a specialized then uh, you know i think that you kind of can expect those you know higher touch points do you think that stuff affects the ride quality or is it more just a principal issue of like spending that much money on something without the finer details it's a bit of both but in this case i think it gets into ride quality um you know there's durability concerns with bearings and with the hardware on the bike so like maybe not like ride to ride but over the course of the life of the bike i think you'd run into issues potentially um it's one of those things that you know there have been models from various brands over the years that have issues like this and i don't think it's um like a death nail by any means just something to keep an eye out for yeah it probably depends where you live too if you're in the desert maybe not a thing but here which happens to be where transition is in bellingham it is pretty wet in the winter and little spots for dirt and grime to get in don't make it as easy to maintain yeah yeah that makes sense and then we've also seen some interesting releases and we saw the new intradrive e-bike motor and gearbox combination which actually isn't all that new but they just had a crowdfunding campaign that ended last week Um, to launch it essentially and this product seems to sort of get rid of some of the downsides of e-bike motors and gearboxes which could have a lot of potential right now they're just dealing with essentially selling to bike companies themselves but in the future since it's compatible with shimano ep8 um, bikes we might see them selling directly to consumers which could be kind of cool to start seeing these things pop up after market kaz would you ride one of these I'll give it a try. Yeah, I'm not. I think e-bikes is a great place for gearboxes to kind of start out on. I know there's always been people clamoring them, clamoring for them on kind of more typical mountain bikes, but there are you know weight issues and a little bit more complication to some extent. But I think a, an e-bike is already kind of a big, heavy, complicated thing. So if you can make a gearbox and get the derailleur away, um, I think it's cool. And so yeah, we'll see Interdrive. Like you said, it's kind of small startup company. We've seen Pinion make a push this year with their electronic gearbox which i'd really like to try that one so yeah i'm i'm into trying them and uh hope you know hopefully this company has success and i do like the concept of aftermarket availability which they they said it might not fit all frames and they're kind of still figuring that part out of it initially they're wanting to go 
um, you know, sell it to a company rather than to a consumer directly. But that's one of those things you don't see very often in e-bikes. You can't just take the motor. You can't take like a Bosch motor out and plug a Shimano motor in or, or vice versa. So I think it is kind of neat that this could potentially in the future um, be something you could switch out your, your drive unit with. Yeah. I, I think that that pinion system is pretty compelling. Having not ridden it, it, it just looks like a, a well sorted system. I got to like play with one on a stand, but uh yeah seeing that level of integration is is exciting i think you know e-bikes are with like transmission and link glide you know some of the issues have gone away a little bit but like you can still tear a derailleur off an e-bike just by shifting in the wrong spot yeah and i think it'd be cool to see some i don't know internal components that can get rid of that complication yeah adding i think a bunch that of other complication be, that <laughs> yeah. could be really cool just to see what companies decide to develop in the future yeah yeah i i think with the the potential aftermarket like right to repair kind of concept with e-bikes that would be like a pretty massive shift in the industry as well i mean we we everyone always complains about the the variety of standards that we have to deal with and really like compared to automotive industry and stuff like that it's not really that bad but it would be cool to see some sort of uniform standard with e-bike mounts or at least like, you know, similar to how we've had like problem solvers as a company, like offer fit kits from X to Y to Z. We could have something similar with e-bike systems where you can kind of attach like a Shimano thing to a Bosch system via some maybe funky connector, but you could do it. That'd be cool. Yeah. That'd be pretty sweet. And with that, we'll head into our podcast. This one's a little bit of a break from our Pink Bike Racing focus lately, just because today we had a cool announcement from Crankworks. So Brian and I sat down to talk it over with the guy in charge. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to a special edition of the Pink Bike Podcast. I'm Brian Park. And joining me is our very own Alicia Leggett, as well as Darren Kinnaird, who is the head of, owner of, person behind Crankworks, um, all things Crankworks. Darren, what's your what's your actual title? Uh, the managing director of Crankworks Events, Inc. And you you own it as well, right? Um, uh, my, I have a separate company that owns 51% of Crankworks, so yeah. That is... That, that sounds like it to me. You mostly own it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, Darren has a very cool announcement to share. But before we get to that, um, I would like to ask both of you what your favorite Crankworks moment of all time is. And then I'm going to follow that up with what's your least favorite Crankworks moment of all time? Uh, who should go first? Uh, Alicia, you look like you have something. Oh, man, I actually only have very vague rambles here. I don't have very concrete answers. I guess my favorite moments are really a tie between all the years I raced EWS there. I did, I think, the EWS for three years there. And then a fourth year after I started working for Pinkbike, I went back and did the EWS 100 there and ended up winning that. So that was like a really fun return to racing. And it actually made me decide I was going to start training to race again, which was kind of cool and just motivating least favorite would probably have to be well one sort of silly one after the 
that EWS 100, I was on the podium and they gave me a bottle of champagne and I just really could not open it because I just, turns out, don't have that skill at all. Um, and I think the second place girl who was very nice helped me open it for me. Um, I guess another sort of least favorite is this most recent year I went there with, um, I just gotten surgery on my hand, kind of coming back from a series of injury stuff and yeah, going there and not being able to ride at all and having my hand splinted up and pretty immobilized and hearing about all of these amazing things happening and watching the events and just not really getting to be part of the scene was just really bizarre. And that not, would be difficult. <laughs> I wasn't a fan of it. I like yeah. being in the bike world, mostly because I like to ride bikes. Um, and so it was hard to adjust to that kind of being at the center of the bike scene and just not being able to ride bikes. But also it was still cool to be there and amazing to see everyone. Like half the reason I'm there is to see friends. So like not a full least favorite moment, but still when I think about bad crankworks <laughs> times, that was sort of it. Darren, what's yours? Um, I would say my, my top three favorite moments, um, you know, going back to, I think the very first EWS we did in Whistler, um, I remember standing in and around the finish crowd and, Fabian Burrell came up to me and he's like, that was proper enduro. And I was like, <laughs> yes. You're not going to try it. You're not going to try it. it. We did it. You're not going to try for the accent? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> um, and, that, and that was the year, I think, that he had gotten that controversial five-minute penalty. And, and mm. he still came up and was like, that was proper enduro. I might have the years mixed up. Like my second favorite moment was, I think it was in... 20 it was 2018 it was the the really really smoky year um at red bull joyride um you know i think matt jones was the first rider to drop in and he made it to the bottom and it was the first time matt had ever made it down the joyride course he had never mm -hmm. gotten to the bottom before yep. so i was like okay yes and then a few minutes later uh emilio hansen dropped in i think he was the fourth one and he put down a run um, and I just felt like that day we were on something special. Um, and I, that was the year that Nikolai won the triple mm -hmm. crown, which was mm -hmm. just that, that whole battle between him and Brett was unbelievable for a reader. But I think my, my all time favorite moment, and there's probably some recency bias was Lemoyne gapping the entire yes. final feature, like <laughs> was just for, for him to have done that on you know, after having crashed trying it in practice only an hour or so before, that was bonkers. Just absolutely nuts. Um, such a moment. I think my least favorite moment, um, and this is more of just, uh, you know, a challenge, um, was uh, 2016 in Leger. It rained so much. We had to reschedule everything a million times. And I think we ended up having to cancel the pump track broadcast. Um, which kind of sucked, but Jimmy and I, and Jimmy McIntosh and I, uh, and the whole crew managed to pull off the entire pump track race in like 45 minutes. So, <laughs> so it was kind of hectic, but, um, that was just a, a funny moment that stood out to me that was like, uh, that was turned out great, but it was, uh, not a, not a favorite moment. So I heard, I heard that it was like a bit controversial that Thomas sent the, uh, the, like the gap feature in that like insurance 
wasn't aware of that. Is there any truth to that? Um, I don't think the course was designed with that in mind. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I'll say. Like the, the the feature is not built with that in mind. I know that's what made it cool. So yeah, yeah, I know absolutely right. It's yeah. when when the athletes can unlock creativity beyond the builder's mind. That's when special stuff happens. Yeah, one of my favorite crankworks moments is similar, but it's Brandon at an event that used to happen called Crankworks Colorado. And I don't remember what year, 2013 or 14 maybe, but he did the same thing. He gapped the whale tail on off thing and nobody, yeah, it was just, it wasn't even in our brains to think that that would be doable. And then for some, it's like, wait, why is he cranking so hard right now? Oh my God, is he, oh my God, he's gonna, (laughs) yeah, it was super cool. That was like 2010 or 2011. Yeah, was it that? I remember sneaking Brandon up the drain pipe into the bar (laughs) for the after party. (laughs) (laughs) I, uh. Yeah, I guess all my favorite moments are kind of like OG moments of like claw threeing when like that changed our idea of what that was is yeah. like threeing the road gap. Um, Those are kind of my favorite moments in all of mountain biking when someone just does something that we didn't even think of before. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. Yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah. Or maybe like Ryder Kasprick whipping the the Gapatron. Mm-hmm. Um, that was that was like a big and kind of forgotten moment. My least favorite moment is really easy because in 2019 I snapped my arm at Crankworks up on a, <laughs> on a heli drop. <laughs> um, Ouch! Yeah, that was super unpleasant. Uh, that was right maybe, before I started working for you, so I've heard a lot about that in hindsight, but was not there for that. <laughs> yeah, it's it turns out like I wouldn't recommend it. Um, I think I probably Mar- Martin's crash um, during that was that was a brutal <clears throat> crash. I really didn't like seeing that at all. And that was what, 2015? That was 2012. Oh yeah. my gosh. What yeah. is that? How, <laughs> Dude, you're, how you're, old your am I? are a little off. I, I am old. <laughs> I am old. Um, yeah. Really, 2012? Yeah. Because it was the year um, Seminac won his first one. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I just started working for Rocky. Anyways, anyways. Let's get to, Darren, you've got some very cool news for the sort of free ride mountain bike world. Yeah, well, we're really, really stoked and really excited to announce that uh, starting in 2024, um, women are going to be competing at Slopestyle or in Slopestyle at Crankworks. And so they'll be competing at uh, all four stops of the Crankworks World Tour next year um, in Slopestyle. We'll finally have women competing alongside the men in Slopestyle. That is so cool. Um, is it, like, are you, are you ready to say what the four stops are yet? Is, is that, have you announced all those? Um, yeah, I mean, it'll be Crankworks, Rotorua, Crankworks, Cairns, Innsbruck, and then Whistler. So, yeah. Very cool. Nice. How do you describe where women's Slopestyle is right now in general? Um... The early days, I would say, but in the sense that like from a competitive perspective, we've had women competing at sort of bronze and silver level events um, on the FMB the last couple of years. Um, The challenge with those formats, though, is that you haven't had the best women all come together at the same time to go head to head. So they've been competing for points, Mm -hmm. but not 
against each other. And so mm-hmm. now this is going to bring the best of the best female slope style athletes to compete against one another. How did you know we were kind of at the tipping point when the women's free red world was ready for that? So this summer, um, when we hosted the women's event at um, the summer series in Silver Star, the women having a full week to train on that course. I mean, that's a, it's been used in Crankworks before. Um, giving them a full week to train on that course and then seeing what they were able to do and what they were able to unlock, it, it just became so obvious to me. It was like, yeah, we're ready to go. I mean, I think in the back of our minds, we always thought that 2025 would be the year. But after witnessing that, it was, no, let's let's make this happen. The industry is ready for it. The women are ready for it. Um, you know, I... I didn't want to hold them back any longer. The there's a clip for everybody listening. There's a clip. Um, it's like a P, uh, like an FPV drone clip of Patricia Druin at Silver Star that everybody should go watch. Um, it's incredible. It's so sick, and I, I can see why you would yeah. have that reaction just to watch them be like, "Yep, yeah, okay, we're ready." I want to jump in and say though that you like Crankworks has done a good job over the past few years creating some opportunities for women to be like practicing on the courses or taking part in like the, the speed and style which is sort of a, a stepping stone to the full slope style stuff so it doesn't it uh i mean i think the obvious question is is this just a reaction to the to the rampage pushback that there there isn't a, a women's category at rampage but it doesn't seem at least from my standpoint, that it's that. No, and I mean, we've been, I mean, our our push to have equality in mountain biking for women goes back to 2014, 2015, uh, when we, you know, we introduced, we were one of the first uh, entities and in, in action sports to offer equal prize money, uh, equal broadcast opportunities, um, and then, you know, the shared podiums for, for men and women um, across all events in, in the world tour. Um, it was, uh, you know, this announcement just sort of, I guess, completes the, the full cycle with all of the events. Um, but you're right, Brian, it's something that we've been focused on for a few years now. Um, you know, we, we did have women competing in speed and style and originally we, we built separate jumps for the women that lasted all of one event. And it was like, no, we want to be riding on the, the big jumps and it made way more sense. Um, and then, yeah, this past year, we, um, each of the, the different, uh, local organizing committees found ways for the women to have opportunities to ride the slope style courses. And, um, you know, just even just the few hours that they got on the courses this past year, the, you could see the, the enthusiasm and the excitement and just, you know, the emotion and what it meant to women, you know, like I, you know, Kathy Kuypers was crying after getting a chance to just even ride the course. And, and, and it wasn't just that they were just riding it. They were hitting the jumps and hitting the features and, and, um, you could just, there was just a sense that, you know, we're ready. Let's go. I'm trying to understand the push pull kind of between the idea that events need to provide women the space to like show up and ride and prove themselves. And the idea that 
women need to already be riding at that level to prove that they need that space before the events provide it. How do you kind of navigate that balance? Um, you know, I think Caroline Buchanan says this all the time, that if you can't see someone doing it, you have no one to look up to, then you have nothing to aspire to. And, you know, one of our core values um, with Crankworks is, in, is inclusivity, you know. Um, and, you know, I think that's what, I mean, I, I always tell the story way back when, when we were sitting in the office and I think it was 2013 or 14, and there was the Always Like a Girl commercial that was going viral um, at the time. And I remember as a group, um, we watched that a few times and sort of thought, you know what, we never, ever want people to say, oh, she mountain bikes like a girl. Like it was, no, no, she's an amazing mountain biker. And so it's been super important for us to find ways, regardless of the, you know, the resources, the cost, whatever, um, to provide those opportunities. And so for me, it's a pretty, you know, it's, we can't do it without, it takes tremendous support from partners to, to allow these things to happen. Um, you know, we, we, you touched on Rampage there, Brian, but Red Bull has been one of the, the biggest supporters of us making this happen. Um, you know, we just entered into a new partnership a couple of years ago with Red Bull. And as we were, you know, discussing this new partnership and aligning values, um, having women um, ultimately one day compete in soul style was a key goal for for both of us. And so, you know, it's it's partners like that, you know, helping us with the resources and, you know, along like brands like SRAM and Maxis have been, this has been key for them as well. Um, finding that support to make these things happen is critical. And then, yeah, like I said, just the 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 belief that if we if we provide the platform for women to compete in, they will kick the door down, come in and and deliver. And we've seen that in every other discipline that we've done this in. Mm-hmm. And so, um, really excited to see what they're capable of this next year when they have four or five days of practice on these courses. Um, and, a, and a true, true opportunity. So I, I think we're going to see the the sport um, develop so quickly. Um, you know, the, your, Alicia, your question about, you know, being able to prove themselves while not competing, but also the timing of the opportunity. I think this is going to meld both and we're going to see, you know, progression. I know everyone hates that word, but we're going to see development and progression in the sport at a rapid pace. Uh, I mean, I, I assume most of the top ladies already know, and I think that that's going to be really important between now yeah. and next, you know, and when the first event is like th- knowing that they have a platform to compete on for all the marbles is, su- is going to be such a cool motivating factor in the off season as everybody, you know, I, you spoke about that Red Bull situation, um, I, I I had an interview with um, Viver Beak, plugging our own podcast on our podcast. I think that's really terrible <laughs> form, but uh, it's worth. She she had a lot to say about the the Red Bull not having ladies at Rampage this year, 
and it's definitely a nuanced position but one of the one of the things she brought up is that it's like really important for the competitors to know whether something's happening and when it's happening so they can prepare and show up and then and be their best and so it's i mean this is good there there's a good amount of time for the ladies to be uh yeah the the off-season progression is probably happening a lot right now (laughs) yeah no we we had a chance to connect with all the top women probably about i don't know four or six weeks ago to let them know that this is something we were going to to make happen and yeah, you you just sense the excitement and that okay, yeah, let's set up the the ramps and roll. All right. Well, I have a bunch more questions about about women's slope style, but before we go into the nitty gritty of that, let's zoom way out and we have you here. Let's talk about big picture, Darren Crankworks. What's the the journey, etc. So, who who are you? <laughs> where did you come from <laughs> how like how did you end up in the position you're you're in you, you've been doing this for we we figured it out before the podcast 14 15 years something like that yeah how did that happen so i moved to whistler in 1999 uh, i wanted to be a ski bum and uh you know i filled my boots with um for over a decade of skiing in whistler but somewhere through that like early 2000s, um, I got introduced to the Whistler Mountain Bike Park and went up uh, with a buddy and an old girlfriend. And our first lap was down Beeline and just felt like a seven-year-old kid all over again. Like it was just amazing. And so got more and more interested in mountain biking, uh, became a volunteer with Crankworks actually in 2005. I volunteered for two years with Crankworks. and then in 2007, an opportunity for a paid role came up. So jumped at that for a small contract and uh, just, you know, kind of took on more and more um, until 2010 when um, they asked me to take over as the general manager. And, and yeah, I've been kind of doing it and leading the charge for Crankworks ever since. And then in 2010, 20- 20 you actually bought it or sorry the whatever the other company that you own yeah. bought 51 percent of it tell us about yeah. that um so the the i mean the long and short of it is is that um vale resorts doesn't really there's no events department so it was kind of mm-hmm. odd as to who we who our team um, was even reporting to at, at Vail. Um, there, you know, I will say that Vail Resorts and Mr. Blackham were very, very supportive of Crankworks. Um, and, you know, it seems like, you know, while I have no firsthand experience at other resorts, they seem to be very supportive of events. It's just not part of their core business. Right. And so um, the opera, you know, the opportunity to put together a proposal um came and uh ultimately we were successful uh we were very close to getting things done just before covid hit and then it was now what do we do um we 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 managed to pull it off um in july of 2020 and it's been a extremely wild ride ever since so and just for background the like veil owned crankworks 
the so, event before or because <clears throat> Vale bought Whistler in 2016. 16. Ah, I finally yeah. got a date right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and so was that owned by Whistler Blackcomb before? Well, so the history of Crankworks is um, a, there was a bunch of different little festivals going on in Whistler prior to Crankworks kicking off in 2004. Um, prior to that, there was something called the Summer Gravity Sessions. And really there was, there was a sort of a group led by someone from the resort municipality of Whistler, Whistler Blackcomb and Tourism Whistler. And that group came together to, um, to create Crankworks, um, in 2004, uh, as Crankworks grew, um, and you referenced Crankworks Colorado, like as we started to go to Colorado in 2007, um, the other entities, um, Tourism Whistler and the RMOW realized that it didn't make like their role was just to get this thing going. <clears throat> and they realized that they didn't need to be involved anymore. We had people working for different, like some people working for the RMOW, some for TW and some for Whistler Blackcomb. And because we were starting to go abroad and to make the employee experience uh, simpler, um, Whistler Blackcomb took over the, the actual ownership of Crankworks in 2008. And so that's how Vail Resorts came to um, own it is because Mr. Blackham had just taken over in 2008. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. It seems like it would have been a conflict for a Whistler Blackcomb owned thing event to be putting on these events in Colorado or Rotorua or just all of or in France, you know, like was that ever well, weird? Um, no, because the the um, the the whole goal of Crankworks from the very beginning, which was much like the World Ski and Snowboard Festival, was it was a tourism product disguised as a sporting event or a cultural event. And so what going to other locations allowed us to do was to talk about Whistler in other locations. <laughs> so <laughs> by expanding the world tour to other parts of the world, um, it, it gave us that opportunity. But really it was about growing the community of gravity mountain biking and growing the Crankworks community. And that's you know, we were really able to do that over the years as the world tour group. I'm pretty curious. You touched a little bit on the Crankworks culture there, but that must have changed so much from when you first got involved in like 2005 till now. What's that growth been like to be part of? Um, it's been, it's, it's been pretty crazy. I mean, it's, um, it, it has been like, I wouldn't say it's been exponential. It's been kind of step by step by step. I mean, I've, I've lived through it for the last 14, 15 years or whatever. Um, and so for, for me, it's felt incremental. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, you know, the, the whole world, uh, of mountain biking comes to Whistler once a year um, to be a part of this. And and all of the other stops in the world tour are ultimately about building up to that. Um, and so, you know, Crankworks being about more than racing, about being an opportunity for photographers and filmmakers and product launches and film launches to, you know, to be this platform for all of these things um has been pretty cool and pretty core of, of what Crankworks is about. Is there this seems like there's a silly question, but 
how do events like Crankworks make money? Um, <laughs> it's an interesting question. <laughs> um, I would say that, honestly, the, the goal of the Crankworks festivals is not to make money in the sense that they, you know, I touched on it, they're, they're really tourism drivers. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. the, there's the benefit that you have or that you get from having all of those people come to your town, come to your resort. And then there's the benefit of all the people that tune in and, and watch mm-hmm. um, or follow on social media. So there's the marketing benefit of all of that. And come um, next year. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now, I always say that the, the best way to get to sell a ticket to an event next year is to show them how awesome it was on on broadcast or in social this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the true the true win is for the resorts, Brian. Like, I mean, we've we did an economic impact study for Crankworx Whistler this past year in 2023, and you know the visitor the total visitor spend in Whistler over the 10 days was just over 50 million dollars Canadian, like on hotels and restaurants and beer and you know it gets so- it's crazy. So it seems about fair that you would ask the the municipality for fifty percent of that. Like you'd be generous, right? Just just twenty five million. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, what I mean a- that fifty million goes like into all the businesses in town and um, the restaurants and the spas and the bars and um, yeah, and a lot of it into the bars. <laughs> yeah. So okay, but I mean, uh, you can't all of that impact doesn't let you pay your employees or pay for a broadcast so that money has to be coming from somewhere yeah it's i mean there's um depending where we are in the world it's there's there's tourism investment mm-hmm. um there's sponsorship investment um you know there's our exhibitors there's registration um those are the, the core um you know funding mechanisms behind the crankworks festival mm-hmm. and I, I guess it's it's different at different stops too yeah yeah no for sure yeah the the mix is is a little different in each location are you kind of hoping it grows into a bigger series or what are your goals for the future it's like four stops right now and seems pretty well established and really good for just riders looking to do a four-stop tour but what do you hope to see it do in the future um so the four core festivals like that's probably the right number in terms of the big, large core festivals. Especially since um, they're so long. Yeah, I mean, the, the one so in Rome is 10 days, the one in Whistler's 10 days, the one in Cannes and Innsbruck are five, six days each. Um, where we're seeing growth is sort of through the Crankworx Summer Series concept, um, which was a total, I know we hate the word COVID pivot, but was like a how do we keep the lights on thing. Mm-hmm. Um, during COVID, um, and but it's it sort of has spun off into its own thing, and you know we're gonna you know this upcoming next year we're gonna see the the Crankwork Summer Series New Zealand um, is gonna be a, a mini festival in Christchurch, mm. and so we're gonna have a downhill race and a pump track race and a bunch of other sort of Crankworks type things take place there. But what's going to be different this year with the summer series in in Christchurch or in New Zealand is that those events are actually going to count towards the world tour, like the King and Queen, our series overall um, events. 
we're going to be broadcasting both of them um, on on outside and pink bike in um, North America exclusively, and then on Edge Sport for the rest of the world, um, and through YouTube and all that fun stuff. Um, but that that's something new that we're going to be doing next year, and I think there's there's some opportunities for growth there for you know more of smaller mini crankworks experiences um you know our crankworks canada summer series we may have three or four different mini festivals next year as well um that are they're about creating pathways for athletes in particular youth athletes into the crankworks um sporting world and that feeds sort of into my bigger quick picture question is that like as a festival crankworks kind of rides a line between like sporting league and um like spectacle maybe or yeah like festival spectacle and like which one do you see it as um what's what's the word for it's a sporticle i don't know like it's um you know it's it it definitely goes down the middle brian and that's by Mm -hmm. design you know, quite often, um, you know, there's enough seriousness in the disciplines um, that there's a core group of athletes that are just super focused on it. You know, we've got a bunch of male and female athletes that are focused on the king and queen of crankworks race. The slope style mm-hmm. is obviously ultra competitive, but even the slope style athletes, by nature, they're 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 competing against each one another but they're not competitive it's it's a mm-hmm. it's such an interesting dynamic I, I think that's um you know quite common in individual sports where the people are competing against each other all the time i, th- I think there's the fundamental difference of enduro racers or downhill racers are competing against the clock and each other um whereas slope style uh, free ride athletes in general are competing against the laws of physics, not each other. Yeah. Yeah. And they kind of know what each other's capable of and they know mm-hmm. what they're capable of. So, um, yeah. yeah. Do you, I mean, you were an early partner in the Enduro world series. So you have, you have racing experience too. And racing is a big part of what you, what you are at Crankworks. It's not, it's not yeah. just slope style. No. Um, actually before I ask that question, what, What's going on with with you? Are you fully out of the Enduro World Series now? Now that it's not the Enduro World Series, yeah. So um, in that the like in the twenty twenty there when we went separate from Crankworks, the mm-hmm. EWS um, went separate in its own direction as well mm-hmm. um, because so Crankworks Events Inc. Um, we were a part of um, the the birth of the Enduro World Series. And it was so, you and Enrico and Chris Ball. Fred and Chris. Yeah. Yeah. And Fred, sorry. Um, yeah. Sorry, Fred. Um, Didn't mean to forget you. I love Fred. Yeah. Fred Glow from Tribe Sport and Urge Helmets in France. One of yeah. one of the, the he, I guess he is the godfather of Enduro <laughs> is his official title, but amazing human. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was the godfather and Enrico was the Pope. So. The Pope. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and so are they, every, everybody's gone their separate ways now? The band broke up? I actually don't know. Um, I, I think that's what's happened is that, um, Warner Brothers Discovery owns the whole thing, but I actually, mm-hmm. 
I I don't know that for a fact. Yeah. They they do own the whole thing. Okay. That much I can confirm. There you go. Um, and I don't believe I'll check this before we publish the podcast to make sure that I'm telling the truth. So if it's in here, it's the truth. But I believe that um, Enrico and Fred are are also out. But and okay. Chris Ball is obviously um, the the big dog at Warner Brothers Discovery for all mountain bike stuff now. So wild. Yeah, it was. It was fun times, the, the EWS and watching it grow and being a part mm-hmm. of that and um, getting to work with those guys on that thing. It was a blast. I mean, it was, uh, we were, we all brought in different perspectives to the table and we were making it up as we went, but uh, it was pretty, pretty fun and pretty successful there. Uh, I mean, yeah. Uh, Alicia, you have your firsthand knowledge of EWSs in Whistler. Yeah, I guess I do. I don't know if I can really add too much to the conversation, except that they were really good. We pedaled for a long time and descended some really fun trails and did that over and over again against the clock. And it played out pretty well. I don't think I ever got injured in one of them. I was trying to I was trying to remember when you were asking about our low points earlier. I just never I never had a really bad crash. I don't think at all in Whistler, including in EWS, which I think is wow. pretty sweet. That's a, that's a pretty pretty good record right there. <laughs> yeah, I've had crashes for sure, but like no real injuries. Um, but I was curious too, um, just when you were talking about the format of Enduro and all the changes and all of that, it seems also like you're in a pretty unique position with downhill racing, and downhill also is in a u- in a unique position right now, where you sort of get to decide a lot about the future of downhill. So what's going on with that? Um, you know, I think we're, um, we're just trying to provide opportunities for, um, for athletes to race their bike. Um, you know, um, we're, we have a really great partnership with, with Red Bull Media House and Red Bull TV to broadcast our events, um, getting to work with Rob and Elliot and Tracy is um, is, is that's a, like a, such a special opportunity. Um, they do bring so much to the table. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, it's the world of downhill is, is being talked about at length these days. And, um, you know, there's so much speculation about what's going on. And, um, but at the end of the day, what's, what's yours, what's your, what's your take on, like UCI downhill racing in 2024 and 25. And then how does what you do um, at Crankworks fit into that? So um, my take on, um, I'm assuming you mean World Cup racing in 2024, 2025. Um, I I mean, it's it's exciting to watch. Um, You know, it's kind of, you hear the rumors of where the sport might be going. And, and I think it's, it's really tough to speculate on rumors. Um, you know, I, the, it's, the goals are to make it bigger and better, obviously. And there's, um, you know, I kind of said this last year, I said, I think there's smart people over there. Um, but it's, it's a big task and a big challenge. And, um, uh, yeah, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying, 
to be careful here not to say anything too controversial, but you know, like it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, I, I, I don't, it, it's a big beast and, um, yeah, that's a, it's a, it's a hard one to, to, for them to navigate. I don't know. Like it's, it's a, it's a tough one. I mean, from, from our perspective, what we want to be doing is, like I said, you know, provide uh, opportunities for downhill racers to compete in world-class world class locations on world-class tracks um, with world-class coverage. <clears throat> and that's our goal. And, and the most important thing is that we want it to be fun. You know, Crankworks is about fun and our mountain biking events are about fun and that's our goal. Uh, let me ask, let me ask the leading question in a different way then. <laughs> um, it, do you think that there's, because of where we think downhill racing at the world cup level is going, does that create an opportunity for events like Crankworks to sort of step up and become, you know, more prize fighter leagues? Um, yeah, I think there's an opportunity there for, for Crankworks to provide an opportunity for, um, you know, all sorts of people to come race and ride their bikes. Um, you know, if the rumors are true that it's, be, you know, the field is going to get smaller and smaller at, um, the world cup level, then people are going to look for other places to, to race. This year in 2023. 1199 might have been the best downhill race of the year in terms of the the track and the coverage was excellent um how do you the there was one thing missing and that was the entire you know it would have been so cool to see men's and women's top 10 athletes <laughs> more of them attack that course because it was such an incredible course What's it going to take to get those folks onto it? Yeah, I, I think we were a bit of a victim of circumstance last year in the sense mm -hmm. that um, with the world champs taking place mm -hmm. in Scotland in early August, I mean, it meant we were moving Crankworx Whistler into July and, and you know, that's where we're going to be again in 2024. Um, but because of the world champs being so close and so early in August, um, it made it difficult for people to travel over, um, mm -hmm. to Crankers this year. Um, in particular, um, when with Red Bull Hardline being scheduled the weekend prior, um, uh, which was unfortunate, um, it made it difficult. You know, like I, I remember texting with Berger Kerr and he's like, oh, I just, I got to have to come over just to turn around and come back. And so it was really difficult. Mm -hmm. I think that because of the schedule next year, um, we're going to see a lot more athletes come to Crankworx Whistler. And I think just the notoriety of the track, the, um, you know, the vibe, the coverage, the whole thing, I think we're going to see a lot more, uh, a lot more athletes attend the race next year. We're working on some ideas and concepts that we haven't fully flushed out yet. Um, you know, Is one of those concepts of, putting a lot of money on the line? 
It's one of the things we were discussing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, prize money is is definitely uh, it's the 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 challenge with the prize money conversation is that um, in a in a team sport, and let's not kid ourselves, at the elite level of World Cup racing, it is a team sport. Mm-hmm. Individual prize money isn't as big of a motivating driver, sorry, motivating is the right word, driver, as you would think it is. Mm. Because the opportunity for an individual that has a contract with a team to go chase prize money doesn't always align with the team's goals. Sure. But I imagine, especially in 2024, where team structures are getting a bit weird and there's, you know, there'll be some former world champs or overall champs that you know they're not they let's face it are not going to win a world cup in 24 um but could they come and have an amazing run at crankworks whistler and have a great time and you know maybe top three and make some money like i think it would be hard for their teams to tell them that they shouldn't go and do that yeah you know i i will say it in my most politically correct way that there will be lots of opportunity for that at crankworks in 2024 i i i hope to see yeah some serious talent there because it'd be very cool it was such a it was such a good track downhill racers who are listening please come it yeah it was it was a wild time the, and I mean, like the, you know, the, the road road track was also pretty epic. And, you know, we we're talking about the, mm-hmm. the summer series in, in Christchurch. They're actually, that's going to be a brand new track. They're, oh, cool. they're building some new stuff above the chair and then they're linking together some old tracks that have been decommissioned or are out of bounds to have a completely new track for that as well. So, um, we shall see. So let's, let's tie a bow in in downhill racing let's bring it back to slope style i would be curious in your you've seen a lot of evolution over the years in slope style i i'm sure that there was some hand wringing within the slope style world as you know as the two biggest stars sort of take steps back how do you see that conversation are you concerned about the popularity of slope style as a as a mountain bike spectacle in the future or um, no, I think like the, the, the opportunities are there as mm-hmm. the, as the athletes become more and more known and, and the more and more stories that can be told about them. Um, <clears throat> I do think introducing women is going to mm-hmm. give us that opportunity, um, to have more stories be told. And so we're really excited about that. Um, you know, the, the numbers, um, uh, you know, uh, broadcast views and social views continue to to grow incrementally. Um, so I'm very excited about what the next sort of five to ten years holds for the sport, um, and to see where the athletes take it. You know, one of our biggest challenges, <clears throat> and we know this, is explaining to people what exactly it is that Emilio Hansen just did in the air. Because it's hard to like, you know, we, we need red cameras all over the place to slow it down and phantom cameras to, you know, so we can really capture what's happening there. Um, so that, I mean, that just comes down to educating the viewer. Um, and so we know what the challenges are and, and we're excited to, you know, 
see those through over the next couple of years. That one is, that one's so hard. I, as somebody, you know, there was definitely a time where I knew every single rider's like natural direction, foot forward, et cetera, et cetera. I, I'm like, I'm not that, I'm not there There's anymore. There's a lot and to keep track of now. I know, yeah. I know. <laughs> and yeah, watching some people's runs, I'm just like, yeah, I don't know. I, I have no idea how to judge that. I have no idea what to, what to think of that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, But I agree with you that the adding the women into slope style is going to open up a whole new, whole new set of things. I'm kind of curious, what were the biggest limiting factors up until now preventing you from bringing women in? Um, that's a really good question. I think that, um, you know, having enough, um, competitors to, to, to make this happen. Um, you know, I think we'd, the, I'm, I'm a part of the, the board of directors of the Freeride Mountain Bike Association as well. And one of our goals far back as 2017, 2018 was to, to build this pathway for women into the sport. Um, and funny enough, like we, there was, um, three women that sort of put their hands up to volunteer to say, Hey, we want to, we want to work on this. We want to figure this out. Uh, one of those was Nicole Freeman, who, um, is our director of sport now. And so she's the chief administrator of the FMBA as well. But before she had sort of come back to working for Crankworks, um, she was, um, she, had vol- she was volunteering her time to sort of lead this project. And then Louise Hatton, who's done a bunch of, you know, worked on Rampage and does, has worked on the big white event. Um, Louise is great. Was, We've worked, worked with her over yeah, the years too. Louise is she, awesome. She was putting in some time and then Lauren Hume, who was our uh, Crankworks athlete manager, the, the three of them were putting their heads together um, to sort of, you know, work with the, you know, female riders to understand like, how do we do this? Um, like Nicole has a, uh, her background is in, um, like sports, uh, like just like how sports work. She has a master's degree in it and she worked for three different Olympic games. Um, and so has just such a wealth of knowledge about sport development and sport pathways. Um, and then unfortunately, because of COVID, um, and the whole world shutting down that set the whole, like women's progress back a couple of years. And so it wasn't until 2020, what year are we in? 2022, that the FNBA was able to introduce um, like female uh, uh, events with female categories and rankings for women, um, you know, which we've done the last couple of years um, on the FNB with bronze and silver events. And one of the things that was, you know, even in the last couple of months was controversial amongst our own team was, you know, do we skip and go straight to, to crankworks, right? We've had bronze and silver events, um, but do we go straight to the top? And my argument for that was, well, that's where the men started. When yep. we started this whole thing, the men had Rampage and the crankworks was their slope style. And, you know, that like th- there was just these big events. That's all there was. So, you know, why, why are we, you know, why are we doing this different for the women? Let's give them this opportunity to, you know, compete on the biggest stages, compete for the biggest prizes. And, um, 
you know, the the triple crown for women and um, win a rebel Jarad ring for women, like all the things that the men have enjoyed for the last 20 years. Um, let's let's create those opportunities for the women. I think I think you've answered this already, but just just on the details side. So it's same course, same course, same courses. Yeah. Uh, same prize money. Yeah. So there'll be um, there'll be six women invited to each Crankworx event and there'll be 12 or 14 men invited. So the, the payout to sixth place will be equal. Um, I couldn't believe this when someone told me this this morning that there's over half a million dollars Canadian. <laughs> I was like, what? Up for grabs in Slopestown next year at Crankworx. That, at the at, across four at, across so the four things yeah that's how and, much money is available across slope style next year at great course so and then split into men's and women's so yeah quarter million each uh it's, it's probably not quite a quarter million each oh, right, because the, men competing the but men's goes but yeah. deeper yeah yeah, yeah yeah the very cool that's i mean that's wild that's awesome yeah um and that especially as a spectacle thing it 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 is literally the there's an, it's an individual sport. It's not like downhill. Um, yeah. That'll get people out. And I think you touched on it earlier with the, even though the ladies have been competing, they haven't been, the top ones haven't been competing against each other. So there's less glory in winning a, a you know, a bronze event against lower caliber competition. Yeah. And I think one of the big differences we're going to see next year is the crowds. Mm. You know, this was a, this has been something that I know, um, that Nicole has been concerned about with her sport knowledge is that it's one thing to do these things, you know, in your own backyard is one thing to do these at smaller contests, but to do this in front of large, you know, 10, 20, 30,000 person crowds, um, that's a whole other ball, a whole other ball game. And so, um, you know, it'll be really neat to see through the year, um, you know, the, the women competing at the first event in Rotorua and the crowds building as we go throughout the year until we get to, to Red Bull Joride and there's 38,000 people on the hill. <laughs> I'm, it'll be, uh, yeah, it'll be pretty That's wild. That's going to be a moment. That's going to be a moment. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, I was going to say same, same judges as well. Yeah. Same judges. Yeah. Same and same course. judging, judging criteria. Same as yeah. well. Like everything's yeah. just the same. Yeah. It'll be, I mean, it'll be scaled. Of course for what's what's possible but um yeah how do you envision um crankworks events sort of fitting in with other events that already invite women like proving grounds and audi nines or sorry it's swatch nines now isn't it swatch nines nines let's just go with nines nines, nines. great yeah i mean i think that the difference is is that this is a competition mm-hmm. like this is this is going to be like this is true sport competition um i think those those other events um, are more about a media component and mm-hmm. creating film, picture, image, content, whatever. But this is going to be about uh, competition. So I think that's going to be the, the major difference. Do we have like the, the, you said six riders. Can you say who those six riders are yet? Yeah. So the it, it goes based on the ranking. Um, and all invitations are sent out, like they're, they're set six weeks prior to the start of an event mm-hmm. um that said there's one bronze level event left this year in um it's in australia i think it's this weekend 
um, which won't impact the current top six. Um, but yeah, I mean, Patricia Druin, uh, Alma Vberg, Robin Goons, Harriet Burbage Smith, Shailen Reno, and Natasha Miller are the current top six. Mm. So they will most likely be the ones um, that receive those those first six invites to Crankworx Solstow. To the first Crankworx yeah. event of the year. And then after that, it's kind of dependent upon, mm-hmm. you know, those rankings change all the time. Um, mm-hmm. It's usually, the rankings are based on an athlete's best three results within a 52-week period. Mm-hmm. And so that's how athletes will be invited. So if you aren't in that top, six and you want to be for with for joyride you have to find i guess bronze or silver level opportunities yeah yeah before, you gotta start yeah. earning yeah start earning your points and work mm-hmm. your way up through the ranking um during that opportunity which is the way it's worked for the men mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. you know 15 20 years now so but it's realistically it'll be pretty hard for the top six to drop out of the rankings and have somebody else come in mid-year unless they get hurt or can't compete or um yes and no um we're going to i mean this is we're still trying to nail down exactly which events um we'll be offering you know other than crank which events will be offering um uh women's categories sorry and and then we will be able to scale the points so that those opportunities can be created So I have sort of an off-topic question, but I have heard a lot of commentary around people essentially thinking women should not be invited to free ride events because they think it's too risky. However, men have been invited for a long time and trusted to make their own decisions around risk. So I don't know if that played into any of your decision-making or if it should have at all or probably shouldn't have. Um, I see you shaking your head. So Uh, thankfully that's not part of that. No, those people are wrong. I've weirdly heard that a number of times. No. I kind um, of just want that to not exist as an argument anymore. No. Um, This, this idea that this sport is, this idea that this sport is too risky for women is maybe, you know, whoever said that is, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I believe, and I've believed this for a long time, that if you gave a bike and some gymnastics class classes to an eight-year-old boy and an eight-year-old girl, by the time they were 16, they'd both be able to do the same things on a Solstow course. You know, I, I've said this for years. I said the first women to ever win Red Bull Joyride, I, this is like, I've been saying this for a few years now, is probably 12 years old and she doesn't even know she's gonna be in the sport. But here we are, Patricia Drew in 17, has been doing this now for a number of years. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say who's the favorite to do well this year, but I will. Patricia, Patricia I will. pretty good chance. Oh my God, she's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I think she's going to come out and just blow people's minds. She was doing tricks into the whale tail and silver star that the guys couldn't do. Like it was, they were all just watching her do this. And I go, I can't do that. And I'm like, yes, that's, that is what we we want. That's what I want to see. And I, I do believe that the women will, like I said, the progress over the next three, four years is going to be mind-blowing. And we're going to see the women uh, doing things as well or better than the men. They, they've just needed the opportunity. And 
I'm stoked that we're getting to do it. <laughs> and like dropping in on a joyride course is like not safe or really like it's not a smart decision necessarily well, for you and i exactly well but honestly for anybody it's dangerous it is dangerous but like w- women can make their own decisions to do dangerous totally. things i don't know it's like totally i have zero inside knowledge but i bet money women will be at rampage sooner yeah. rather than later mm-hmm. Same. for sure yeah i mean i can't imagine how horrific the feedback would be if they're not that's yep. like <laughs> There are better reasons to include them, that's but the also to make the decision. Yeah. But yes, it also, so this is sort of promising to me because it seems like a while back racing was pretty much the only pathway to the top mm-hmm. of mountain biking. And this seems like a huge step toward just broadening the ways people can kind of show that they 100%. can mountain bike. And that that's 100%. an amazing opportunity for so many up and comers yeah. right now. Yeah. And, and that's the goal, right? Like, I mean, is give these women a platform, show what can be done and inspire the next generation. And some, you know, yeah, someone ch- chase after Patricia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I'm sure that whoever, I'm sure that this summer, the person to level up and beat Patricia in a few years will be watching this summer. Yes. Right? It'll be the, the the women's version of Ben Thompson and all the videos mm-hmm. of Ben as a child on the sidelines yeah. <laughs> watching the event at Whistler. Yeah. Just someone just make sure they record it so you can turn it into a commercial. <laughs> I'm sure you've, as the leader at Crankworks, you've probably been getting criticism on decisions like this from all sides over the past, well, forever. It's never easy to be uh, the head of a of a thing like this how do you deal with that um i think it's important to to listen um to to be you know selective in how and where you choose to engage um which is not always the easiest thing to do i mean to to try and remove personal emotion from those decisions on when to engage, that's a challenge. Um, but you have to be, um, you have to be self-aware enough to, to know where, when, and how, and you also have to be prepared and expect that it comes with the territory. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, a a lot of people, care way too much about riding mountain bikes. No, but that's the point. That means you're doing a good job. No, but I mean, and that's exactly, that's my point, right? Is that um, people are passionate about what they're watching, what they're attending, what they're seeing, what they're, you know, the most valuable thing someone can give you is their time. So don't waste it and don't disrespect it. If you keep that in mind, you know, that that's my two cents of thoughts on it. Makes it a little easier to take all the all the stones thrown from the bleachers. Yeah, we're 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 fortunate that like we don't get a ton. Mm-hmm. <laughs> knock, knock, knock on, on wood. wood. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um but um yeah. 
And never, and, and the other thing, Brian, you and I were talking about this is that uh, never self-gloss. That's my other, my other rule is never, never talk about how great you are and, you know, you know, like let others, let others tell your story. Um, you know, let, uh, you know, yeah, that's my, my motto. It's an interesting, it's an interesting place to be for sure in, uh, in 2020, I guess. Yeah. Coming into 2024, there's a lot of, there's a lot of self-gloss. <laughs> I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be doing anything else. I'll just say that for mm-hmm. the record. And, um, yeah, I'm, I cannot wait my, I mean, my, my, um, Jimmy, our, our sport manager and I always joke that we would do this 340 days a year. If we could just go on the road, producing crank works, it'd be the most amazing fun time. <laughs> Our, our our wives and partners would probably kill us, but uh, I was gonna say the families. But, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can't wait to. I, I just I cannot wait for twenty twenty four to come around, and uh, in particular that first slope style contest in Rotorua. Um, yeah, it's gonna be awesome. All right. Well, I think this is a great place to to leave it. To as a final thought, what is the for both of you? I think I know the answer is who you think is gonna win the opening round but i want a prediction on what the best trick the best women's trick at crankworks rotorua slope style will be in 2024 what's the prediction i mean this feels almost like a little bit of a cop-out i think patricia recently did the first ever like backflip triple bar spin for a girl and honestly if she added another bar spin to that it just wouldn't surprise me one bit and Seems kind of like on the path she's already on. So maybe that. She's done a, a flip triple bar. I, yes. I should look that up. And like, before I commit to having me say that in the podcast, I should make sure that's actually factually well, correct. But I'm 30, like, let's just take 30 seconds. Uh, I'm like 99% sure that she did. Um, She's pretty good at a lot of things turns out she's i mean she's one of the few women that is doing uh you know double triple combos yeah which you know uh is pretty ridiculous um i think you know someone like shaylin reno um is like her progression in this sport has just been very steep and now that she's got a uh, a real platform to work towards i'm really excited to see what she does um, I think we're going to see some, some front flip combos. Ooh. Yeah. That, uh, that sort of, um, spine to whale tail feature in Rotorua near the bottom, like it's the second last feature on the course is so set up for that. Um, it's kind of a, uh, step down. So she definitely has flip double bars. Let's just see if she has a. Oh, yep. Flip triple bar. Yep. She's... And she has a, fi- a really nice 540. And she's 16, 17 years old. 17 years old. Oh, God. That's <laughs> terrifying. That is terrifying. I know, right? I was just getting into mountain bikes at that age. And... <laughs> Wild. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, no. that's an interesting prediction, Darren. I have... I... Yeah. I would love to see it. Do you think... Do any of the ladies gap the the on off there? In 
in Roto? Yeah. Think? Sorry. I'm not, maybe I'm mixing up. Isn't that the one where there's oh, like a, an optional? In Cannes, sorry, yeah. This, can. the, the first feature in Cannes. Um, I could see Robin trying that. Same. <laughs> yeah, I could see Robin going for that quite easily and potentially, potentially flipping. Ooh. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Okay, well, this is exciting. Thanks so much for no, isn't this awesome? sharing this the news. I know. So I, exciting. So yeah. Good. Yeah. Thanks for spearheading Just this. Just getting to talk about it's, this, right? Like yeah. it's a whole, the, the speculation. Is it's awesome. also cool. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Uh, I think, you know, yeah, we're, we're not even going to pretend that we're unbiased here. Uh, <laughs> we love, we love this news. It's great to see. Um, and yeah, we'll be watching in 2024. Yeah. Thank you both for uh, having me on the podcast and the opportunity to share this news with you. So we're, we're very excited and the same. Can't wait for this year to get going. And then the question we had asked this week is actually from the comments of the last episode asked by Death by Stereo. And it's kind of a question I'm curious about, too. Are we getting the downcountry field test this year? Which I assume this year must refer to actually next year, but around 2024. Hey, Kaz, I'll toss this to you. Do you think we're going to have a downcountry field test anytime soon? Uh, I don't know. We'll definitely get the value field test going again next spring. Uh, it's kind of too early to know. A lot of times to do these field tests, we look at what new bikes are coming out. So we'll just kind of take a look. We'll know more in the next couple of months. So, um, yeah, I guess the answer is I don't know. And definitely not this year. I'm not, yeah, like you said, not sure what year this guy's talking <laughs> about, but um, we're not doing a valley or a downcountry field test in the next month. That's not going to happen. But stay so. tuned for the fat bike field <laughs> test dropping yeah. this winter. We got to get ready for the snow biking UCI snow biking world championship. Yeah. So we could this test snow true. bikes, like snow speed bikes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, stay tuned. Next year we'll be doing cool stuff, but I don't have it all figured out yet. And then with that, we'll head into music corner. Kaz, what have you been listening to lately? Uh, lately I feel like I've been listening to a lot of the same stuff, so, but I don't want to say things that I've mentioned before. So I do have a song that's pretty new. I believe it's called nothing matters by the last dinner party. Um, it's kind of more poppy than what I would normally listen, but the lyrics are super good. You just kind of have to listen to it and check out the lyrics. I really like it. So, um, nothing matters by the last dinner party. Cool. What about you, Dario? Any suggestions for us? I'm gonna subject. Ah, uh, I'm gonna sub. Ah, uh, I'm gonna suggest <laughs> something that I thought I'd suggested before, but apparently not. Uh, it's this Portland metal band called Spoonbenders. Um, I was talking to Kaz about them last week. They opened for a band I like a few years ago, and I've kind of been a super fan ever since. They didn't have a ton of recorded music for a while, but they're starting to release albums that are like really good studio quality uh so they released one this year called how things repeat and the artist again is spoon benders they're great just like maybe like old schooly metal but super fun and if you have the opportunity to see them live they have an awesome live show like cool outfits and stuff nice great oh sweet spoon benders i like your guys's attentiveness to not repeating yourselves i was looking through old podcast episodes i think looking for something else really recently and found two identical recommendations from myself which was sort of entertaining i just like yeah didn't know i'd picked the same video twice but i guess that's where we are right now and 
that happens sometimes and it's really good I mean, anyway, if anything so. you're like cementing your recommendation you're like you must yeah, like, listen I really to like this. this this yeah. is true yes but anyway this week i will recommend the billy jean cover by the civil wars which i think is a really excellent version of that song um so i guess i'm also taking a tiny break from my tiny desk concert recommendations but <laughs> side note the civil wars do have a tiny desk concert and it's very good <laughs> it just doesn't have billy jean on it which is pretty much my favorite thing they've done and and this is yeah. Michael Jackson's Billie Jean, I'm assuming? It is, yes. Okay. Which, I'll listen. Yeah. I'll say that I'm not a... I'll listen to it and, and reserve judgment. I'm judging hard <laughs> in my head right now. I typically don't like uh Don't you judge hard of, on all of our recommendations, though? Yeah. But the, <laughs> but I, I don't want to like... If you like it, that's great. It's music. Unless... I feel like there's less wrong answers with music. So this is good. I'll, I'll, I'll listen to it and I won't... I'll report back. Okay. I'm okay. skeptical. I just, I'm just saying I'm skeptical. Are you anti-folk like anti cover? Yeah, like Mumford and Sons doing like Led Zeppelin or something is like the worst thing in the world. So like that style, (laughs) I can't deal, but maybe I can deal with this one. So it could be interesting. It does sound kind of like this style that you don't like. Yeah, Um, but that's okay. I just, I think it's a really good song and I learned to play it on guitar recently too. So that's also like selfishly part of it. I just like entertain myself with it all the time and it's great. It is a good song. I'm not taking away. It's a great song. So it is a great song. Okay, perfect. Well, we will leave it all there. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And thanks for joining me, you guys. We'll see you next time. 